For our scripture reading, we turn to Mark chapter 4. Look at this Lord's Day that makes a reference in the last answer. It's about those that are implanted into Christ. It says it's impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits, fruits of thankfulness. And so we read this, uh, this section, Mark 4, 1 through 34, keeping that in mind, that idea that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith, the parable of the sower makes a distinction between true faith and that which is, is not genuine. And our confessions make, make a reference to the parable of the sower in this regard, that the parable of the sower does uh, distinguish between true faith and faith that is not genuine. And here, in this Lord's Day, it says those, that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith, it is certain that they will bring forth fruits in various degrees, but they will bring forth fruit. And that's, we look at this chapter from that point of view. We read beginning at verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth, some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. 
lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, uh, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of the things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there's nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. And so far we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning. And what we just read and all the rest of Scripture are the basis for the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 24.
There we read, but why cannot our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? Because that the righteousness which can be approved of before the tribunal of God must be absolutely perfect and in all respects conformable to the divine law. And also that our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. What? Do not our good works merit, which yet God will reward in this and in a future life? This reward is not of merit, but of grace. But doth not this doctrine make men careless and profane? By no means, for it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Dearly beloved, in our Lord Jesus Christ, this Lord's Day 24 goes with the previous Lord's Day on justification by faith alone. That's evident from the beginning of the Lord's Day that they go together. That the previous question and answer was that we are righteous by faith only. And then the question that follows, which is the first question of this Lord's Day, is why cannot our good works be the whole or part? Why can't they be even part of our righteousness before God? And then the answer is given that they, they can't be, that from the viewpoint that the righteousness that can be approved of for the tribunal, the judgment seat of God, it must be absolutely perfect. It has to be perfect. That's a key point in showing and teaching people the doctrine of justification by faith. Lest anybody think that they're going to come before God and think, well, God will accept the best I can do. He knows I can't obey perfectly, and he'll accept the best I can do. And over against that, it says, the righteousness that can be approved of before the tribunal of God must be absolutely perfect. It's key that one understands that that they then turn to, to Christ, that they're not relying on anything they've done. And they confess that, that their works are not even part of their righteousness before God. And in sorrow for sin, they, they, they trust in Christ, they believe in him. It is key to understand that fact, that our good works cannot even be part 
and of our righteousness before God. So we see how that's connected with the previous Lord's Day. The next question, though, and this is, we see this here and we see it in the Belgic Confession, too, that the doctrine of justification by faith alone, when that is explained, then there is an answer given to someone that would say, but wait a minute, God says he rewards our good works. And that's true. God does say that. And our creeds come right out and say that's true. God rewards our good works. And then the question that's brought up here is, oh, well, if, if, if God rewards our good works, then that must mean that our good works merit. I mean, he's rewarding us. It must mean that our good works merit. And the answer is no, it does not mean. Those passages that speak of God rewarding our good works do not mean that our works merit. They do not mean that our works are part of our righteousness before God. The reward is not of merit, but of grace. So the doctrine of the reward of grace is brought up in connection with the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And you see that here, and you see that in the Belgic Confession too, that you see the, the, the key to put those two together, that God does reward our good works, but that does not mean that our works are part of our righteousness. A third, a third point that's brought up with regard to this doctrine of justification by faith alone is that some might say, well, if you teach that our works don't merit, if you teach that we're justified by faith alone, isn't that going to make men careless and profane? Why do the good works? And the answer that's given to that is not at all. And then it brings up the fact that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith, they certainly will produce good fruit. They won't do it to merit. The good fruit, the works they do, they will not be doing to merit. They will be doing them out of thankfulness, thankful for the salvation that they have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we see in this passage that we read that when the word of God and justification by faith alone is taught in the word of God, when the gospel of grace is proclaimed and when it lands on good soil, and how did it become good? Well, God is the one that gives certain people a new heart some are implanted into Christ by a true faith, and it will be the case that they will produce fruit. We consider this Lord's Day under that theme, those implanted bringing forth fruit. We consider the certain fruits. Secondly, the impossibility of merit. And thirdly, the fruits of Thankfulness. So in the first point, we look at the fact that the fruits are certain. And in the last point, we're going to look at it from the viewpoint of that we do good works out of thankfulness, that we are 
We want to express our gratitude. First of all, with regard to the idea of being the certainty of these fruits. The passage, the, the Lord's Day is teaching that there are some people who are implanted into Christ, or sometimes we talk of being engrafted into Christ by faith. And we say even an infant, even an infant in the womb, could be that God performs this work in someone even while they are in the womb, that they are engrafted into Christ by faith. And it says that anybody that's engrafted into Christ by faith, as they grow and, and mature, they will produce fruit. A man outside of Christ man outside of Christ will not produce good fruit. Man outside of Christ is a corrupt tree, and he will not produce good fruit. When here it says it's impossible that those that are implanted into Christ should not bring forth fruit, well, what about those who are not implanted into Christ? Will they bring forth fruits? Many people say they will. That they, would, they can do some good works. Where the scripture and our confessions clearly say that's not true. They will produce no fruit. And the parable of the sower brings that out as well. The parable of the sower brings out, as was mentioned, this parable shows the difference between true faith and false, those false faiths, and that those that do not, are not implanted into Christ by true faith, they produce no fruit. And the examples that were given in these different soils, the ones that did not have true faith did not produce fruit. But when someone is implanted into Christ by a true faith, they will. God infuses new qualities into the will, into the will of man, that the will was dead and he quickens it. He actuates and strengthens it that like a good tree, it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. That's the language of the canons in the third and fourth head, Article 11. That God infuses new qualities into the will. He quickens the will. He actuates and strengthens it. That like a good tree, it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. Well, it's only if the, if the will has been quickened will there be good fruit, the fruits of good actions. The unbeliever, or rather the believer, the unbeliever produces no good fruit. The unbeliever, when we refer to him from the viewpoint of the new man, he's been implanted, from the viewpoint that he's been implanted into Christ by a true faith, he will produce fruit, but that 
believer still has a depraved nature. And we always bring that out too. That it's also the case that in this life, we still have to fight against a depraved nature. We have those evil desires. And we see that within ourselves. So on the one hand, we look at ourselves from the viewpoint of the old man and say there's nothing good. But then we also say that it's true that we've been implanted into Christ by a true faith. God has worked in us and given us new life, a new heart. And those who are implanted into Christ by that true faith will do good works. Now we do not say that we don't do good works. It's important when we confess the truth about justification by faith alone that we also state other doctrines that go with it that are true. Those that are justified by faith alone, those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith, it is the case that they will bring forth fruit. Their works are of no account to their justification, but it is the case that they will bring forth fruits of thankfulness. We must not say, we don't do good works. That would be false. It would be directly contrary to scripture and our creeds to say, no, we don't do good works. It's one thing to say that an unbeliever doesn't do good works. But to say that a believer does not do good works, we come right out in the Belgic Confession and say these words. Therefore, we do good works. Comes right out, directly stated in our confession. Says the same thing in Scripture. Speaks of men seeing our good works, that they may see your good works. Matthew 5, verse 16. We read of Tabitha who was full of good works. That's Acts 9, verse 36. Well, what are good works? We say we must do good works. In fact, in our creeds, in the Heidelberg Catechism, we say, why must we do good works? And they're referred to as fruits. What are good works? Well, they're only the ones that proceed from faith. So if you don't have faith, you can't do a work that proceeds from faith. The works that are good are only those that proceed from faith. They must be done according to God's law and to his glory. They must be done according to what God has told us, what our Lord has told us. They're not to be founded on our own imaginations. They're to be done according to our Lord's direction. And there did be done to his glory, not striving to be seen of men and to receive praise ourselves, but that, that we are doing them to the glory of our God. These works, as they proceed from the good root of faith, are good and acceptable in the sight of God. Now that's another phrase. 
That's from the Belgic Confession. This is Article 24. They are good and acceptable in the sight of God. How, how is that? They proceed from the good root of faith. But even our best works are defiled. That's true. But these works proceed from the good root of faith and they are sanctified by God's grace. That's a key phrase. That in the Belgian Confession, Article 24, you can see that. That when it talks about how these works are good and acceptable in the sight of God, it says they proceed from the good root and they are sanctified. They're sanctified by God's grace. That's the language that is used in the Belgian Confession. So we do confess, on the one hand, that even our best works are defiled. That's right here in this Lord's Day. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But it is also important to bring out that these fruits are certain. We're talking about it now from the viewpoint that these fruits are certain. We do good works. And a tree is known by its fruit. That's a familiar illustration. If you see, if you see apples on a tree, well, then you know what kind of a tree it is. You see the apples and you say, well, this is obviously an apple tree. You can tell when you see the fruit. And it says that it's the case that a tree is known by its fruit. And when we talk about manifesting to others, the book of James brings out that idea that one manifests their, shows their faith is manifested in their works that is manifested to others conceived by the works that those that are implanted into Christ will bring forth fruit good fruit that proceeds from faith now that's taught right here in Mark 4 when it says in verse 20 And these are they which are sown on good ground. Now, when somebody's been implanted into Christ by a true faith, they have a new heart. And so the word, as it's sown, will be sown on good ground. What happens when the word is sown on good ground? They hear it, and receive it and bring forth fruit in various degrees and that's a key it's not that they all bear fruit in the same degree but they do bring forth fruit it isn't that they bring forth zero they will bring forth fruit that's exactly what this Lord's Day is saying it says You're not going to have it that somebody's implanted into Christ by a true faith and he brings forth zero fruit. 
it will be the case that they will bring forth fruit. And that's brought out here. When the word fell on the good ground, it was the case that there was fruit in various degrees. Another passage that speaks somewhat similar, using the word hope, someone who has faith, has hope. And in 1 John 3, verse 3, we've looked at this verse before, that it says, every man that hath this hope in him. Now what hope is that talking about? Well, you go to the previous verse, and it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know, this is explained what our hope is, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That's what we're longing for. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Then it says, every man that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself even as he is pure. And notice that this verse states it as a fact. Instead of saying, every one of you that has this hope in you, purify yourself even as he is pure. This verse states it as a fact that every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure he longs to be like christ the holy christ he longs for that he has this hope in him everyone that does purifies himself even as he is pure it's not going to be the case that somebody who's been implanted into christ by a true faith just walks impenitently in sin his whole life. It may be that it, we know that, that there are times when a child of God walks in sin for a time. But it's not going to be the case that somebody that's implanted into Christ by a true faith, that he walks impenitently in sin his whole life and he never produces any fruits, any good fruits. So that's the first point. That these fruits are, these fruits are certain. Now, secondly, and relatively briefly, we bring out the impossibility of merit. So there's going to be fruit. Does that mean that those works are part of our righteousness? And we say, no. They're of no account. And this is what the Belgian Confession, it speaks of, says too. We do good works, but they are of no account. None. No account with regard to our justification. None at all. They can't be part of our righteousness. And it's very easy to, to see that. It's very easy to point out that the holy God, what 
righteousness can be approved before the tribunal, the judgment seat of God. What righteousness can be approved of? And God says it has to be perfect, absolutely perfect. And in all respects, conformable to the divine law. Now, when somebody looks at it and says, well, that's impossible. Well, then we look to Christ. Christ, the righteous one, who was sinless. He never committed any sin. Perfectly righteous. And that's why the previous Lord's Day says, the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. He is the sinless one. He is the righteous one. And that we needed the Messiah, the perfectly righteous one. So confessing this is key for us looking away from ourselves to Christ. Looking to him, not trusting in anything in ourselves, but looking to Christ. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, as it says in the prophecy of Isaiah. And even our best works are punishable. Punishable. The same Belgic Confession that does say that we do good works and that they're of no account to our justification also says that our works, our best works, are punishable. Now that's, of course, if they're defiled with sin, it's the case that they're, they're punishable. You and I consider works that we've done. Any work that you and I have done has been defiled. If you and I look at it from the view, if you look at it from the viewpoint of your own works, if I look at it from the viewpoint of my own works, I must confess, and you must confess, that they're they're punishable. We see our own selfishness, our own pride. We grow to see how great our sins and miseries are. Our good works can't be even part of our righteousness. And when we do good works, we don't do them to merit. As if we're going to earn anything. And in that regard... You look at Luke 17.10 that speaks of that even if we did everything that God told us to do, we'd have to say that we were unprofitable servants. We did what was our duty. All that one could do, even if you could obey perfectly, which we can't, but even if you could, all that we would be doing would be our duty. What we were obligated to do. We're not wage earners. We don't earn anything. We are children of God who delight to serve our Father. We are servants who delight to serve our Lord. But then the question is that's brought up is 
Okay, you say there's no, you don't do it to merit, but the Bible does speak of a reward. Do not our good works merit, which God will reward? This is a, this is a good place to bring out that there's a number of times this happens when you talk to someone on a doctrine is they put together two things that need to be distinguished in this one sentence. Do not our good works merit which God will reward? And so that the thought of somebody saying this is if God rewards our good works, that means they merit. And the answer that's given is, it's true that God speaks of rewarding our good works. We don't deny that. But it, that first part of what's said is wrong. It's not the case that these good works merit. The reward is a reward of grace. And we bring out passages, there's a number of them, that speak of the reward. There's one of them, like in Colossians 3, that speaks of what we do and then speaks of the reward. In Colossians 3, rather, Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. And it says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now there's one point. It is about good works. It is to be done to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward. So whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, knowing this, that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Now the idea that it's the reward of, that it's the reward of the inheritance brings out it's a gift. An inheritance? That's a gift. It isn't something that one earns that we receive an inheritance means we receive something as a gracious gift we don't earn that yet the bible does use the word reward god doesn't owe us we owe god we are beholden to God, as it says in the Belgian Confession, or indebted to him. When God gives us the grace to do good works, we should thank him. He doesn't owe us. He beforeordained the good works we do. He beforeordained it. Christ obtained for us the quickening spirit. He purchased for us the different blessings that we receive. And by his spirit, he works in us both to will and to do. He's the one working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So that clearly we're to give God the praise and we are to thank him. So the reward, the Bible does speak of the reward. And it does speak of us doing something, knowing that 
that we do keep that in mind. Doing it heartily, knowing that of the Lord we'll receive the reward. It speaks of what we're doing and how we're doing it heartily, and we're keeping in mind the reward, yet also confessing this reward is not a merit but of grace. The answer, notice the answer is not, no, he doesn't reward. That's not the answer. The answer is, this reward is not of merit, but of grace. That's the, that's the answer. Uh, the reward is not of merit, but of grace. <clears throat> Lastly, we look at the fact that the fruits that we do, we do out of thankfulness. And... Uh, a third part with regard to this Lord's Day, this Lord's Day also has another aspect to it, and that other aspect to it is that it says, what about this doctrine? Is it the case that this doctrine will make one careless and profane? And over against that, it says, no, this doctrine does not make one careless and profane. Uh, as you see in the very passage that we look at here, there you see that it says that in, when the word of God, if this doctrine is the truth of the word of God, then when the truth of the word of God is proclaimed, when that truth comes, it's not going to be the fault of the truth when there is the case that there are those that do not bring forth fruit, but it's the case that... Uh, it's because it has a reference to the ground on which it fell. But when it falls on good ground, it will produce fruit, and it will do so out of thankfulness to God. Uh, just like that woman that washed her, the Lord's feet with her hair, with her tears, and dried them with her hair, that she knew that she had been forgiven. And one who knows that they are forgiven are thankful. They are thankful for their salvation. And they desire to glorify their God. They're thankful for the salvation they have in Christ Jesus. And they will do their good works out of thankfulness. Not out of a desire to earn. But out of thankfulness. Now we not only teach that, but we also know that to be a fact in our own life. That anybody that hears and understands and believes, anybody that believes that Christ's righteousness is their righteousness before God. Anyone that comes to understand that they are cleansed, they are washed, they are forgiven. That they are forgiven much. That we who know that, who know that we've been forgiven much, that we will be and we are thankful. We are thankful for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. So thankful that he's shown us mercy and that we understand that the reason why some have good soiled hearts 
is because it was all of God's grace. We were saved by irresistible grace. He quickened us. How is it that somebody's heart, that there's good soil? How is it that anybody has a new heart? One that will receive the word. It's only by the grace of God. And bringing forth fruits we will out of thankfulness and in varying degrees. And that's taught here true also in the Lord's day. Or also rather in Mark 4 when it says some 60, some 30 fold, some 60 and some in hundredfold. We do them out of gratitude. Thankful to God for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's important to see too that this passage clearly brings out that when there is not fruit it isn't because the word is the problem. So that's another reason to quote to read this chapter in connection with this Lord's Day. Because as Jesus went around and taught, there were many that rejected what he taught. And it's good to see and understand that Jesus teaching this parable, he does so in the context of how many are rejecting what he's saying. Many are rejecting it to the point of people wanting him dead. And very quickly that, that desire, more so that will be manifested. Why is that? Was the problem the doctrine that Jesus was teaching? The fact that in many it didn't produce good fruit. Was the doctrine that Jesus taught, was that the problem? The parable of the sower brings out that was not the problem. It isn't that there was a problem with the word that was being sown, that Jesus was speaking. The problem was what, that it will fall on these different soils. Now the same applies to mission work then too. That sometimes people will, if people, the danger is looking at the work of missions from the viewpoint of what's going to gather the most people. What is it that most people are going to agree with and looking at it from the viewpoint of the number of people and that if there's opposition to it then change what's proclaimed so that one does not proclaim what people are going to object to Jesus kept proclaiming the gospel the good news of particular grace. He kept explaining doctrines such as he does right here. And when he would teach a parable like this, it would manifest, it, or it would be the case that even that certain people can perceive, even an unbeliever, God's, only God's people will have the spiritual understanding as is brought out in this passage when it says that Jesus expounded all these things to his disciples he expounds them 
He explains it to us, and by his spirit, he guides us to understand. But even an unbeliever can see certain things. Even an unbeliever could see that this parable is bringing out that the reason why there is no fruit in some is not because of the word. It has to do with the soil. That's the reason for the difference. And even an unbeliever, if they were to read this and see Jesus' explanation, if they were to read the chapter, they could see that that's what he's saying. Yet a child of God reads this and looks at it from the viewpoint that how is it that anybody really hears the word and receives it? How is that possible to hear it and receive? Why does that happen in some? Why do some have a desire to hear it? Why do some have a desire to grow in their understanding of it? Why is it that there were some, like those that says, when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. It wasn't only the twelve. There were others too. And when Jesus was alone, they that were about him, they that were with him, along with the twelve, were asking him. They wanted to understand. Some desire to understand and to grow. And out of thankfulness, desire to do the works that are going to be to the honor and to the glory of their God. We love him. We love him who first loved us. We're familiar with that verse. God loved us first, and he causes us to know that he loves us. He infuses into us a consciousness of his love. And those in whom God infuses a consciousness of his love who know that God loves them. Conscious of the fact that he loves me, that he loves you. The fact that you know that God loves you. You love him who first loved you. And you're thankful for the work he has done with you. You know it's all of God's grace. That you were bought with a price. That you're not your own. And that you desire to live. Not unto yourselves. But unto him. Desiring our head to rule us. By his word and spirit. May we show forth our thankfulness. To our God. May we be attentive to his word and may we in our life show forth our thankfulness, our love for him in that which we do, confessing the truth that we're saved by grace alone. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, and our Father, we are thankful, O Lord, for thy grace, thankful for thy mercy that thou hast shown to us we are thankful and we confess that our salvation is all of thy grace. We confess, O oh Lord, that our good works 
are of no account to our justification. They're not even part of our righteousness before thee. We know that. We confess that. It's only by thy grace that we've been saved. The fact that we have a heart, that in our heart we do love thee, that's thy work within us. And we do love thee, O Lord. We know thou dost love us. And we love thee who first loved us. Strengthen us, O Lord, to go to thy word. And whatever our trials may be. And may we produce fruit to thy glory. For our desire is that thy name be magnified. That, that we may show our thankfulness to thee for what thou hast done. Lord, grant that grace to us. Grant that grace to our children. May thy name be praised by us and all thy people. And may the true gospel of the kingdom go forth to the nations. And we know thou wilt accomplish thy purpose and that thou wilt build thy church. May thy name be praised. For Christ's sake, amen.